from Cobalt Headquarters in San Francisco. This is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my colleague and friend, Caleb Simon. Caleb and I met when I was on the eBay Global Information Security Team, and Caleb was a CTO of Spy Dynamics, which was later acquired by HP. We were introduced by my boss and eBay CISO at the time, Dave Cullinane. Dave and I were putting together eBay's Red Team event, which involved bringing in security experts from all around the world to speak, uh, and that's how I came to know Caleb. Caleb started his security career as a consultant and X-Force researcher. Spy Dynamics was one of several successful security startups that Caleb built over the years before transitioning to the defender side as a managing vice president of cybersecurity at Capital One. Today, Caleb invests and advises startups, and he also manages a cryptocurrency fund called AvaCoin. Caleb, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Carolyn. So uh, just to make sure I give clarification on AvaCoin, uh, AvaCoin was just a fun, small project uh, at which I did because I was interested in cryptocurrency. So it's actually named after my first daughter who was just born. Uh, she's actually four months old now. But uh, I was interested in cryptocurrency and decided the best way to learn it is to go and build uh, sort of my own coin and my own sort of uh, fund with that. And that's where AvaCoin came, came about. It's not actually real. It's, it, it is real, you can go out there and do it, but it's not an actual fund at which I managed. I did it purely for, edu for educational reasons. And I get to say now my, uh, my daughter has her own cryptocurrency. So that's really the, the, the best outcome out of it. I, I think that's so cool. Uh, right now, certainly a lot of people are very interested in cryptocurrency, uh, but you're the only one I know who has created one for the sake of learning about it. It's the best way to do it. I tell you, pick a project if you want to learn something new and just go heads down and figure it out how to do it. And I think you get good theoretics, real practical. Uh, like, for example, I learned uh, building smart contracts on blockchain is a huge pain in the butt. So you can only learn that <laughs> while going and doing it. <laughs> Caleb, it seems to me that you've really been taking this sort of self-starter, like dive right in and just go for it, uh, really for the majority of your life at this point. Um, one of the things I'm always interested in on this podcast is how did people get started uh, with the work that they do? And for you, I'd like to understand, what was it like to be Caleb Slima in high school? Yeah, so <laughs> it's a good question. It's sort of like, uh, let, let me sort of meld two things, maybe a little bit on how I got started. Uh, and then it kind of goes into high school and where I think it became like a real thing. I, I, was, I was a small kid uh, when I got started sort of in security. And, and I remember my initial... Thing that got me hooked was uh, I was exploring BBSs. And for those of you who aren't old enough to understand BBSs, the bulletin board systems where you dial up into someone's computer. And I read this one file on this one forum on how to make free pay phone calls, I think when I was like 11 or so. And uh, I built uh, sort of the red box. It worked. I was hooked. And I just started really getting into phone freaking uh, electronics and all the rest of that. And that's sort of where I think my first hint at security really got, got me hooked. Uh, and of course, that kind of melded into sort of high school, um, 
where my natural uh, tendency tends to be rebellious. So, uh, for example, I think I got really hooked into security because it was sort of an outlet for my personal rebellion. Because in high school, I got kicked out of just tons of high schools. In fact, uh, my parents were so frustrated with me. I had gotten kicked out of four high schools in one year, and that's sort of my claim to fame record. Caleb, <laughs> why, why were you, what, what were you doing that was getting you kicked out of these schools? Oh man, I, it's it's just that teachers did not like me. Um, and and by the way, now being an adult, uh, I look back on the way that I was then, and there's no question. As a teacher, I would have hated me, but I was just always a smart ass. Uh, I always didn't want to do any of the work. And if, if there's a clear way to get me to do something, like reverse psychology totally worked on me back then. You could say, don't do that. And I would absolutely do it. And I would do it while looking at you in the face and making it as like, how, how much could I piss you off was my goal. And so teachers did not like me. Schools did not like me. Uh, I just got kicked out for a lot of different things. Um, which we could probably go into details if you want to at some other podcast, but there was a lot, there was a lot that I did. And, um, and I think that kind of kicked me off into the, like it was my fourth uh, school I got kicked out of. My parents didn't know what to do with me. I could not go to school. So my mom, she worked at this telecommunications company and she brought me into work because we had no babysitter, nowhere for me to go. Pretty young, uh, just started school. I think it was like ninth grade type of time frame that I'd gotten all kicked out. And uh, the, the, I was reading these computer books sitting in a cube behind my mom while she was working at the office. And this network admin guy happened to walk by, see the books I was reading, struck up a conversation, and then boom, there you go. I, I all of a sudden sort of had a first job. Um, and then he offered to basically say he needs help with uh, administrating this network. And uh, that kind of brought me into, I guess, the real world. That's incredible. I mean, you say you were a smart ass, you didn't want to do any of the work, and then you spend your career as a successful serial entrepreneur. And I think that I, I have to imagine that entrepreneurship takes a fair amount of hard work. Why has entrepreneurship been interesting to you? What drives you? What's driven you in your career to do that type of work? I have to say it's not the entrepreneurship that drives me. Um, I'm not driven by being an entrepreneur. I never got into security to be an entrepreneur. Um, it just happens that way. Like uh, what, here's, here's the thing is like, I love security. That's what I have a passion for. It, it has been that, that way since the first time I read that phone, freaking how to build a red box file to where I am today, where I get giddy when I read about someone who's really come up with a new innovative exploit. Uh, that's my love. That's what I love to do. That's what I have a passion to do. And it just so happens that I ended up becoming an entrepreneur, I think, because of that passion. And that passion has drove me towards various different routes. But it's not because I love being an entrepreneur. In fact, being an entrepreneur is really hard. Like, it's very difficult. It's extremely challenging and is something that, you know, is not for the faint of heart. So it was, it's really just this uh, aspect of getting into security and then my career has brought me into entrepreneurship and my, my interest in security brought me into entrepreneurship. And, and I love entrepreneurship uh, mostly because I feel like I can really go after 
my dream and, and what I really want to see made and have sort of a, a larger impact in the industry that I love, which is security. Cool. So for the sake of, of hopefully drawing out some very interesting stories with the limited time that we have, I'll ask you a general question that I like to ask people, which is for the three startups that you've built, perhaps there's more than three. I know of three. Can you tell me about a favorite experience and can you tell me about a least favorite experience? <laughs> oh man. Oh wow. That is a loaded, loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's uh so let me, let me, I mean, man, that is really, really tough. Maybe let me start with, uh, what's the least favorite experience? I don't know. I don't know how to answer this because I got to tell you in every startup, there has been some just massively, uh, non-fun things to do. And I think, uh, not necessarily, and definitely not, uh, you know, interesting, or crazy, but at the same time, I think when you look back on them, uh, they're they're very very. Gosh, what's the right way to? I guess sort of fate driven. Like, I, I, let me give you two really not fun experiences, but these are probably just two out of like a hundred. <laughs> so Perfect. let me let uh, 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 one. I'll start with Spy. Uh, there was a time where we were we as a company were really bootstrapped in my first company. And uh, we had raised just a small amount of angel and we had gotten to a point where literally like in our small little space, which was a startup incubator space, which was behind a strip club in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, we couldn't pay the power bills. So one of our employees was, we were all contributing, was helping to pay the power bill. And we, had, we were right on the verge of raising capital, uh, our first round. And there was only this one venture capitalists in Atlanta, in Atlanta. At the time, there's not a lot of money in Atlanta. Even today, you could still say there's not a lot. But, you know, there's this one venture capitalist who said, we'll give you a Series A. We went through all the due diligence with them. We went through all of the paperwork and signed it. Legal, blah, 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 everything, everything, everything. And, and on the weekend prior, literally the money was going to be wired in that Monday. On the weekend prior, on that Saturday, they pulled out of the deal. Not only did they pull out of the deal, but they charged us with all the legal fees. Oh my gosh. That went with that deal. So not only were we in a position at where one, we were already pulling out cash just to keep the power on and our, our employees, our very few employees that we had was doing it. But now we had this huge debt that they racked up because we weren't smart enough in looking at the legal contracts to say that they actually could charge us with all legal fees and which they did which was this was in the six figures my goodness. right they were charging us 25 dollars for staples i remember like it was absolutely asinine so that is that is a position at which it was not a fun time uh but when you look back at it actually it was kind of awesome because we did end up pulling our way through and doing some great things which I can counter that to maybe out of that company, one of, one of the best times that we had where we had our first user conference in that company where we had hundreds of customers across the world fly to Atlanta and come specifically because they were using our products. And we were a profitable business. 
we had done an amazing, we built an amazing product that really affected and impacted hundreds and hundreds of customers at which we got to see all in one place. And that was a really peak place, I think, from bottom to top, which was sort of an interesting experience. Um, and then go to the second one at Blue Box, where we had built this entire sort of strategy on this uh, BYOD, uh, keep your, uh, your, your private information private and your corporate information corporate and do it sort of in a very transparent and visible way. And we had done some pretty amazing things with how to inject our code into mobile applications. And, and it, was a, it was a really great system. And we had gotten uh, a slew of customers on board uh, to do this. And we had just closed our Series B and things were looking really good. And then what happens is Apple, who is, which is pretty much 90% of our customer base, was all based off of Apple devices, changed and modified their EULA contracts to state that the way that we did our technology and mobile apps was no longer allowed. Oh, no. Which basically, in a little less than three weeks, we went from all of this pipeline and customer base to a core part, a core primary differentiator in our products gone based off of a single change in Apple, which means our pipeline went out the door because companies, as much as they love the solution, legally, they couldn't do it because Apple could revoke their licenses if they did. And so it just went boom, right into the floor. Not a fun time. <laughs> Not a fun time at all. Uh, after we had raised, we had just closed our Series B of funding. Uh, Super, super tough. So that was not, not an interesting or fun, but it forced us into something that was pretty interesting and fun, which what we learned out of that, and the BYOD, especially enterprise mobile market, is really, really tough. And we were running at like nine, 12 month sales cycles. It was, it was really hard to begin with, but it forced us to sort of pivot into, well, our real differentiator really was this way that we could control mobile apps in a very simple but effective way. And we turned that into taking that technology to companies that they could build it into their apps because they were building mobile apps. And we actually started getting bigger deals out of that in a much faster turnaround time than we ever did out of sort of our BYOD uh, perspective. And so I would say that's really the positive turnaround of something that happened that was so negative. Um, and that was a real a happy moment, I think, for. Uh, the things that we we're doing. So those are some examples. Fantastic. I think it's so interesting that when you talk about the happy moments, it's not, and then we sold to this company. Um, and when you talk about some of the least favorite moments, it's not, and then after we sold to this company, I went and worked for this company that was really different. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that transition looks like for you? If that's something that's that's fun for you? If that's something that's just sort of part of what happens when you build a successful startup? Are you talking about just being acquired or are you talking about just the examples of why my happy and sad moments are not about acquisition? <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am talking about being acquired because I think that's okay. something that's really interesting to our listeners. Uh, you know, being acquired is very complex. And uh, I think as a founder, uh, God, there's just so much to think about in that. 
you know, you have to really think about, are you being acquired? Are you being bought or are you being sold? Right. Those are two very different uh, things to do. And and how you do that and what your feelings are around that are, are very different. And who you choose as your acquirer are, are big deals, because I think a lot of people from the outside look at acquisitions as a business venture, which it is right. Like at the end of the day, an acquisition is about the business venture. What does the deal look like? But to a founder, it's much more than that. It truly is emotional. Uh, it is something that is part of your baby. And it is something about not just your baby, but your employees become part of your baby. And what do they look like after that acquisition? How are they fit? And do they enjoy the benefits of the acquisition? And so I think that, again, a loaded question, Caroline. And I think you know one at which we could probably spend an entire podcast just talking about how do you think about an acquisition? What does it feel like to go through an acquisition? Uh, how do you choose, right? If you have a choice <laughs> is also a good question on the acquisition. And then what happens in that lifetime after? Um, and I think that, that you know, there's a lot we can hit on just that, but maybe I can, maybe that's hints for a future one at some point. Yeah, I like it. I mean, if I'm keeping count accurately, then I think you've signed up to do at least two more podcasts with us. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Excellent. Excellent. Have, you, have your audience vote. Which one would they want to hear about? Oh my gosh. We will totally do that. So one of the really fun things about doing a podcast like this is we do get a lot of interaction from our listeners. Um, we actually have a pretty active listener base uh, that talks to us on Reddit. So um, folks, keep that in mind. Let us know what you'd like to hear about from Caleb in a future podcast. Um, Caleb, so you did the entrepreneur thing. You didn't do it for the entrepreneur thing. You did it because you love security. At one point in your career, you transitioned from the vendor side to the defender and protector side as a, as a managing vice president of cybersecurity at Capital One. Can you tell me a little bit about what was going through your mind as you made that transition? I think I kind of remember when that happened, and I think there were a lot of people wondering why you weren't doing another security startup. Yeah. And I wrote a, in fact, I had so many questions on that. I had to write a blog post, which I am a rarely a blogger. <laughs> so I actually wrote a whole blog post because I had so many people asking me that question. Uh, but let me sort of summarize it for you. Um, when, when I, so after the last uh, acquisition um, of a blue box, you know, you always sort of think as, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you think, okay, well, I need to do the next startup, right? And, and the thing about it is when I started looking around, uh, I started realizing that, I, that there are so many cybersecurity startup companies that were doing and building such great technology that I don't know if there was a need for another cybersecurity startup. And frankly, sort of what I told you before, it's I'm not, I'm not an entrepreneur because I just need to be an entrepreneur. I'm in security because I love security. And so when I felt that, does, does the world need another cybersecurity startup when I feel like there's so much great technology that these companies are building? But yet when I looked on the other side of, uh, in the news, every breach that we hear about today is all because of fundamental problems, not because of nation state attacks or advanced methodologies. These were just just simple, simple problems. Yep. And I was like, there's a, there's a huge disconnect from what I saw cybersecurity startup companies building versus what I saw breaches in the news happening, right? So between this sort of 
theory of what we think the world needs and what practically is happening, there's this gap. And I wanted to know what that gap was. And so the best way to learn that is to go and do it. And I felt that, you know what, I, I've been in security my entire life and I, it's been a very short amount of time that I've been where the real action is, on the battlefield, in the fire, where you are sitting in a company and you're the one being attacked. You're the one that you've got to worry about. You've got a million problems to solve, not enough time and not enough resources. That's where I wanted to go because I felt that the best places for you to learn things is where you feel pain. And so that's where I wanted to go. And that's why I decided to jump on sort of the defensive side is to really get an understanding. Cool. And are there any big lessons learned from that experience that you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I think that there's sort of this, it's an obvious answer, but um, not really until you get into it, which is people and process, right, are really the sort of the struggle between uh, fundamentally solving some of these problems. I also think there's, there's a knowledge base where uh, I maybe there's some of just me, but insecurity, there tends to be this focus on the shiny new toys, where what is, what's the cool new product vendor that does AI or ML or, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I tend to see a lot of distractions where security teams really want to focus on innovation and stopping the O-Day threats and going through all these processes, when in reality, the base fundamental boring stuff just isn't, isn't done well. And it can be as something as simple as it says, hey, like, where are all our firewalls? Who does our patches? Like, who looks at what logs? And are we looking at the right information or are we not? Like, none of this is sexy. It's just basic people process and, and focusing on these fundamentals. And I see a serious lack because I think we get way too distracted with uh, the bells and whistles. Um, and I'd like to see sort of the industry as a whole start focusing internally and looking at these base fundamentals first. And I think that once you can do that, once you build out and fortify the foundations, the innovations and the cool tech on top can iterate way faster. And they can really be useful at that point. Uh, but I just don't see that where I sit. Cool. Well, Caleb, this has been super fun for me. Um, I'm sure for our listeners as well to kind of get, you know, an inside look at how you look at your career, what you've been thinking along the way. What are you doing these days and what's next for you? Oh, so, well, uh, you know, these days I think that uh, I'm mostly uh, focused on my, my, uh, my new daughter. So there's been a lot of uh, uh, taking care of her. This is my first kid and figuring that out. And at the same time, uh, I've been really sort of focusing on a little bit more on my investing side. So I do a lot of uh, advising for cybersecurity startups and also some angel investing and have been focused a little bit more on that. But, you know, you never know what will happen here in the next couple months uh, or this year. And uh, there's always there's one thing you can always be sure is uh, I hate being bored. So I'm sure you'll see or hear something from me soon. Cool. Well, I can't wait to hear about that. Um, and Caleb, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, Caleb. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen test as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.